Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Amen, amen, amen. You could be seated. Tell the person next to you, I'm so glad you're here. Tell them thanks for showing up. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we welcome our church family tuning in online? Thank you guys for being here. You have to forgive me. Um, I mentioned last week that a couple of my kids weren't here because they were under the weather. And if you're a parent in the house, you know that um, when you have kids that are sick at some point, it gets you. So uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel good. I feel fine. But if I have to hawk uh, any loogie, uh, I'll just I'll hawk it back that way. Is that okay? Um, Dad, can I tell this story real quick? True story. Can I tell it? Um, back in North Lauderdale days, when my dad had a, he had some congestion in his head and he had to get it out. We had a, a door on the side of the stage that led outside. And so um, he, he went over there and he turned his mic off and he said, guys, I'm so sorry. I just, I have to do this. Matt, you, you were there, Matt. And then he proceeded to out the, the, the door. The problem is that he never, never turned his mic off. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. Um, Sean Lynch, I'm so proud of you, man. I really am. I'm so grateful for you. And um, you grow a way better beard than I could ever could. And so I, I just, I see your heart for kids and your heart for the Bible. And that means a lot to us. And so my dad and I, this was a joy to license you. We got to do it with just our staff in-house and we got to celebrate him. But we really wanted to show that to the church as you are looking. And as, as God has, has been opening up some doors to be in full-time ministry, I was worried you were at um, when I was 20 years old looking to be in a church. And so we're praying for you and, and we love you and your wife, Rebecca. And um, Steve and Amy, thank you for being willing to step in. I don't know, guys, after service, if, you, if you're interested, <clears throat> they'll be in the back, both them and Sean and Rebecca. And just would you one, hug them, congratulate them. And then would you introduce yourself to Steve and Amy? They're gonna be stepping in and taking Wednesday nights, taking our middle school and high school. In fact, this Wednesday night, which I believe is the 25th, right, Sean, 25th? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with them and sit there and kind of give them a little Q&A and, and hear a little bit more about where God is sending them as well as um, how God has sent uh, Amy and um, Steve. <laughs> I love you, Steve. And you're wearing a pink jacket, bro. Let's go. Like, I love that. Um, so Wednesday night, Steve and Amy will be here with Sean and Rebecca. We're going to celebrate them, honor them, and then kind of welcome them. And so parents, if you have any kids... Um, and you're interested and you want to come hear more about their story, we're going to get some food. We'll feed you. But it's happening this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Esther. Um, show of hands. How many of you have been enjoying this, this study through this book? Man, this has been eye-opening for us. Back in January of 2022, when I read this, um, God led me to some things. And then in November of 2022, my dad and I, put this on the calendar to teach it this time. At such a time as this, pretty powerful. We're gonna be in a, a verse, uh, chapters nine and 10. We're gonna conclude it today, but I wanna read verse 17 from Esther chapter eight. If you remember, there was a, 
an edict out there that all the Jewish people were going to be killed in the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar. They were all going to be assassinated or killed, annihilated. But the king, God working behind the scenes using a Jewish girl and a Jewish man by the name of Esther and Mordecai, the king issued another decree that not just equipped the Jewish people to defend themselves, but to also kill any of their attackers. And so they celebrated. Verse 17 of chapter 8. It says, In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and what? And gladness among the Jews. With feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. If you've ever seen the show, uh, The Office, there's a scene where Michael Scott walks in and how dare he watches The Office. But there's a scene where he walks in and he says the famous phrase, well, 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 how the turntables. Now, he totally didn't say it the right way, but we know, the, what's the phrase? Oh, how the tables have turned. You know, if you were a Jewish man or a woman at this time and you walked into a Gentile marketplace, you were living in fear and odds are in these marketplaces, there was probably a countdown that counted down the days to the 13th day of the 12th month. And you walked in as a Jewish person, you were probably criticized, laughed at. People looked at you and said, we're gonna kill you. Nine months from now, we're gonna kill you. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of um, neglect. There was a lot of humiliation with the Jewish people until Esther, until they realized that Esther was working behind the scenes. God was working behind the scenes using Esther who convinced the king to put on another edict that not just, again, equipped the Jewish people to defend themselves nine months from now on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, but it also equipped them to kill any of their attackers. And so now if you're a Jewish man or woman walking to that marketplace, that countdown means something different. And now you're looking at the Gentile people. And you're probably going to say, if you were there, you'd walk in there and say, well, 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 how the, how the turntables... Well, can I tell you that something else was happening that nobody probably thought would happen? Something else was happening with that table. And it wasn't just that the table was turning. And here's the title of this morning's message for our note takers out here. But the table just got bigger. The table just got bigger. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it shapes us. Thank you that it molds us. I'm so grateful, Father, to be a student of it. And every time I read it, I learn from it. I was reading in Psalm this morning, God, that we are to, we are to present ourselves to you with, with happiness and joyfulness. And God, so I present myself to you this morning with joyfulness, especially with what we're about to read about the people celebrating and feasting. And so I thank you for your word that it convicts me and it shapes me, encourages me. I pray that it would do the same for everybody else in this room everybody watching and online, this story right here would be one that we would never forget, that we would always remember about how you are God, you are in control. And it doesn't matter how hopeless a situation may seem, with you there is hope. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Chapter nine, we're gonna do our best to, I'm gonna do my best to walk through chapters nine and 10 and I'll share a little bit and, and teach. But go with me to chapter 9, verse 1, and let's pick up. We'll read through verse 5. And by the way, I'm reading from my 
for my older NIV translation, so the one on the screen may look a little bit different. It says, in the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. So here we are. It's been nine months. And on this day, the enemies of the Jews had what? They had hoped to overpower them. But now, the tables were what? Turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces. Remember, there were 127 provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them. If you have a pen or a highlighter and you got a Bible, underline that, word, that, that, that sentence right there. It says that no one could stand against them because the people of the other nationalities, it says that they were afraid of them. And all the nobles in the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. It goes on to say in verse 4 that Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. Do you see what's happening here? In verse 17 of chapter 8, it says that people became Jewish. They identified with the Jewish people. They became Jewish. And then it goes on to say here in verse 2 and 3 that they not only um, um, the enemies were afraid of them, but other people helped them. If you remember in 1981, we had uh, the former Republican governor, now President Ronald Reagan, was shot. And if you know anything about Ronald Reagan, you know that his, his sense of humor served him very well. And there's a couple things that we have recorded that Ronald Reagan says after he was shot. And the first is to his wife. He said, I forgot to duck. And then he goes on to say to the surgeons who are, as they're prepping him for surgery, and he's on the table, you know what he says? He says, I sure hope you are all Republicans. <laughs> and um, it's then recorded that one of the doctors looked at him and said, Mr. President, today all of us are Republicans. And that's the attitude right here with the people who are not Jewish. They're seeing what's going on. The Jewish people are celebrating, they're feasting, and all these other people are like, listen, guys, today, all of us are Jews. But it wasn't just this attitude like, you know, I'll, I'll be Jewish for the day. What we, what we see here in Scripture is that people had become Jewish. In other words, simply put, people, Gentiles, who weren't Jewish, had pagan gods, they had a pagan religion, they gave up that pagan religion and those idols, and they became Jewish. They converted from paganism to Judaism. They became worshipers of idols, and now they are worshipers of God. It's very similar to what we see today with people who are unbelievers, and they have all that they do and all that they worship, and they, they become believers. Many of you remember that day. You remember that moment where you gave up certain things, so you converted from being an unbeliever and you became a believer. This is what we're seeing right here. There's, there's an identification that's taking place. And so what I want to do is walk us through a little bit of a, of a journey, and we're going to start with um, fearing, which leads to identifying. And so that might be on the screen, but fearing is leading to identifying. Now, we're going to pause on fearing for a moment. I'm going to get back to it. But let me go, let me go with identifying, which blows my mind because if, if you remember what's taking place here, a Jewish person walks into a marketplace and sees the countdown to the 13th day of the, of the 12th month of Adar. And the, the king puts out another edict that says all the Jewish people can now equip themselves and kill their attackers. 
it wasn't that these people identified as Jewish after they won. They identified with being Jewish before the day even showed up. Now, why would you become Jewish and immediately put a target on your back? These are what these people are doing. They're saying, I identify with the, the Jewish people. It doesn't matter if the Jewish people have enemies. It doesn't matter if now I have a target on my back. I am identifying with the Jewish people. Now, now what would you do if somebody came up to you, whether you're Jewish or Christian or whether you're a believer or you're a worshiper of God, let's just, let's just blanket statement that we're worshipers of God, and, and somebody finds out that you're now a worshiper of God, and, and they go ahead and put a sticker on your door, your business. They put a, the Star of David on your business and say, these people now, I want the world to know that these people are worshipers of God. What would you do? Hold up, hold up, hold up. You know, don't, I don't want my identity to be known just yet. Um, I'll let it be known after we win the war, you know, but, but not, not yet. Can I tell you what Paul and Timothy write to the church in Philippi? This is First Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. This won't be on the screen, but this is what they say. Paul says, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, here it is, church, whether by life or whether by death. Are you a believer today, a worshiper of God, that can believe and say this statement, that I will always have the courage to speak boldly about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if that means life or death. Are you ashamed? Christian, are you unashamed? Tell somebody next to you, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Christ. You don't got to have a bumper sticker. That's not what I'm saying. Because some of you have bumper stickers. You shouldn't have bumper stickers. In fact, some of you, you got the VLC sticker on the back of your car. And by the way, you drive, you should have another church's sticker on the back of your car. Don't represent our church poorly in your driving, okay? <laughs> so you don't have to have a bumper sticker. But my question to you is, do people know? Does your neighbors know? Does even your family know that you identify with Jesus? Do they know? Do they have any reason to know? Well, the Gentiles in Susa, they were unashamed. And here's what they were willing to say. We won't just identify you, but we will, and here's the next part, we will fight with you. What's going on in these people's minds? What would convince them to say, I don't just, I'm not just for the Jewish people, but I am now a Jewish person, and give me a sword, I will fight for the Jewish people. So again, if you're taking notes, we're talking about fearing, which is leading to identifying, and now it's leading to fighting. The table didn't just turn, the table just got bigger. And they had to get more seats out. And in return for the more seats they put out, they got swords. You ever had a party at your house and so-and-so invites somebody that was not invited, and now you gotta pull out another chair, and that person invited somebody that you don't even know, you're like, I don't even know this person. And now you're pulling out chairs from the patio. If you're like me, you've got like the little kids' chairs at the kids' table you're pulling out just to seat everybody. And uh, there, there are times where the people that weren't even invited that you didn't know, you actually like them way better than those who were invited. And you're like, man, this is a good, this is a good deal. I'm, I'm glad that you showed up to my house. The table just got bigger. The Gentiles said, we're showing up. And we're not just gonna identify with you. We're one of you. And we'll fight with you. I mean, what, what a story. It's the, it's the scene in the movies 
where the, where, you know, where the small army's there and they're, tr- they're trying to fight the battle, they're getting ready and all of a sudden the, the guys and the horses show up. The foot shoulders show up. The guys with the pain on their bodies, they show up. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And they're looking around, they're thinking, man, this is amazing. What were these people moved by? I mean, was it, were they moved because of compassion? Were they moved because they were celebrating? Were they moved because they just wanted to fight? Now, let me go back to the very first one. The Bible says that they were moved because of fear. It says in verse 17 of of chapter eight, the people of other nationalities became Jewish because fear of the Jews had seized them. In verse two of chapter nine, it says that the enemy of other nationalities became afraid of them. Verse three, all the nobles in the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the kings, administrators, it says they helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. So not only were they afraid of the people of God, but now they're afraid of, this, of, of, the, of their leader, Mordecai, who was a person of God. They're, they're afraid of these people. And because fear is in operation right now, two things are happening. Number one, it's moving people to help. And number two, it's paralyzing the enemy. Let's talk about the fear of God for a moment. Joshua, when he was sending spies, go with me to Joshua chapter two. Joshua, when he was sending spies, not across the Jordan, because they had already crossed the Jordan, we're talking about the two spies that he sent into Jericho. This great city with big walls. And Joshua sends two spies over there, and who do they meet? They meet some women by the name of Rahab, the prostitute, and they stay with Rahab, and, they, and, and Rahab hides them because um, word's getting out that they're spies from uh, the, the, the Israelites, and so they're looking for these spies, and Rahab says something extremely profound in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Who is she talking about? She's talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Look at verse 11. When you heard, or when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. And notice what she says. Because what what comes along with the people of God? It says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The fear of the Lord is a powerful weapon. In fact, it's more powerful than any sword, any firearm, anything that we can put together. The fear of the Lord is the greatest weapon that we need to have and that we need to ask for. So it's, it's moving people to help, and it's also paralyzing some who are, who are opposing them. It brought courage to many, and it removed courage from the enemies. And if you remember, the, the Israelites walked around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven times. Where, where was the army of Jericho? Why weren't they? Where were they? They were fearful. They were hiding. They were cowards. And they destroyed every living being in that city, except for Rahab. Rahab and her family were spared. The fear of the Lord, it, it, it takes people, the enemy that has courage, and it removes their courage, and then it saves others, and it, and, it, and it brings them along. The fear of God. Solomon said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 18 chapters later, he writes, the fear of the Lord leads to life. 
Can we talk about the absence of the fear of the Lord in many people? We see it in our own, in our own church. With our own, with our own believers, we, we see that. Where's the fear of God in you? I mean, we certainly don't see it in unbelievers. I think it's important for us as Christians, we want the unbeliever to have a fear of God. Now, that unbeliever fear of God is very different than the, the believer's fear of God, right? The believers have a reverent fear of God. We know what he saved us from. We're very thankful for who he is and what he's done. And we know that he's a God of wrath, yes, but he's a God of mercy and compassion. But to the person who is not a worshiper of God, you better believe and pray that the fear of the Lord draws them in. And it's not. It's like the prophets in the Bible who would tell, tell the kings, they would say, there's no fear of the Lord in your eyes. There's no fear of God in your hearts. Why would they be compelled to move? I pray for the fear of God to enter people's hearts. I want them to be moved and pulled in. Yes, God is a God of mercy and grace, but he's also a God who is just. And I'm trying to explain this to my, my six-year-old. Every morning we drive to school and I talk to him about God. We sing songs. He always wanted to sing this one song. Maybe you remember it. He came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. You know, I was doing, I'm trying to do this. The, my wife's like, you have no idea what those, sound, those, uh, those, those sign moves are. Yeah, I get it. I don't. But I'm singing the song and he loves it. But I'm trying to explain to him the gospel. And I'm talking about sin. And I asked Judah, he's six, because I got saved when I was eight. And so he's six. And he's asking a lot of questions. And I'll say, Judah, what's sin? And he says, well, sin is when we do bad things. And I'll say, Judah, do you sin? And he says, he says yeah, but so does Beckham. <laughs> so does Blakely. And I'm like, no, we're not talking about them. I said, do you sin? He says, Daddy, everybody sins. I'm like, do you, you have to admit that you sin. Uh, and uh, I'll tell him, and he's like, yeah. He's like, yes, I, I do bad things. And then I talk to him about the punishment when you sin. There's a separation. And I tell him that punishment. And my wife's like, you're a little too hard on him. Because I originally started off with telling him that the punishment was just an eternal spanking. Um, but I just kind of teach him how I, I was taught. I just teach him the punishment is death. That's a little too harsh for a six-year-old. No, that's the reality. That's the reality. The reality is, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know your punishment is eternal separation from God. My dad used to stay on this stage and he used to say, if you don't believe God, you die, you will go to hell. And you will go to hell forever and ever. And he would literally scare the hell out of us. I mean, that's what he would do on stage. And I'm sitting there thinking, I never will go to that place. But I think we've done a disservice to many people because we've talked to them about this God of mercy and they have no idea about this God of just, this God of wrath. And they've accepted this Christianity that thinks God is so merciful and I can do whatever I want. Oh, but God will judge you. He will judge you. Now, I'm sitting here trying to explain this to my six-year-old kid. And he's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but, but not fully yet. But I'm, but I'm praying that he, that he gets it. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, he is kind. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he is, he is gracious. But the Bible says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to accept. There's no fear of God in anybody anymore. And to be honest, I don't think there's a lot of fear of God in us at times. Is, is your neighborhood compelled because you fear God so much? No, a lot of people are looking at Christians and saying they don't take any stances. They don't, they don't really believe anything. They don't, have, they don't have a backbone. Maybe I'm not talking about you. I think a lot of us in here are, we got backbones. But there are many who don't. It's time for the world to fear 
the church, not the other way around. The church is afraid of the world. But the world needs to be afraid of the church, amen? So fearing leads to identifying. There was a fear that these people had. Clearly this God is real. So I'm part of you now. I, I identify you. Today we're all Jews. And we don't just identify with you, but we're gonna fight with you. And so fearing leads to identifying. We're moving along, which leads to fighting, which now leads to winning. Look at verse five. Go back to Esther chapter nine. It says, uh, and, and here's the day, here we go. The Jews are equipped and now they can fight. It says, the Jews struck down all of their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the city of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Now stop there, go to verse 16 because it's gonna, go, it's gonna go on to what's taking place in Susa, but now we're gonna go to the 127 provinces around the uh, Xerxes Empire. It says in verse 16, meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed, how many does this say? 75,000 of them. 75,000 of them, and then it throws in but they did not lay their hands on their plunder. And then that's important in a second, but 75,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people who said, I know that the Jews now are gonna be equipped, but I'm still going to kill them. That's 75,000 people, plus the 500, so 75,500 people who said, not only do I hate the Jews, but now I'm moved to kill them even more. 75,000 people that the Jewish people killed. Now, go back to verse 6. Let's go back to Susa, where they killed 500 men. Again, this is all happening on what day? On the 13th day of the 12th month of Dar. That's important. Look at verse 6. It says they killed 500 men, but they also killed, I'm going to attempt to say some of these, Parshanda, Dalphon, Asphatha, Poratha, Aldelai, Ariditha, Marshatashta, Arisha, Aradai, Vizatha. What's really important is that they are the 10 sons of Haman. So they kill 500 men in the city of Susa, but they also kill the 10 sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But notice again it says, but they did not lay their hands on their plunder. Let's just keep reading. We're going to go to verse 15. The number of those slain in the of the city of Susa was reported to the king the same day. The king said to Queen Esther, yeah, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and you guys killed the 10 sons of Haman. I don't know if there's excitement in his voice, but it kind of sounds like there's some excitement. And he's like, what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It'll be granted to you. What is your request? Again, he said, this really seemed to work out. Your people really were spared. But I wonder what happened in all the other cities because they killed 500 men, but, but how many more have, have been killed? And by the way, ask whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Let me be more generous. Esther has favor from God. And then she replies in verse 13, if it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. And she doesn't stop there. She says, and let Haman's 10 sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded this be done. An edict was issued in Susa. They impaled the 10 sons of Haman 
The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day. They were fighting on the 13th day, and now they're fighting again on the 14th day in Susa. Is this happening in every other province? No, only in Susa. It says they came together on the 14th day, and they put to death in Susa 300 more men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, there's a couple things that I want to address here. Number one, I want us to recognize that there's another day of killing. And along with that killing, there's impaling of the 10 sons of Haman. That's the first thing. The second thing is that they didn't touch any of the plunder. They didn't take anything. We see that in verse 14 and verse 16. Let's address the first. They added another day of killing. Now, you and me, you know, we're believers in the house. Um, Killing isn't something that we wish on anybody. It's certainly not anything that we want to be part of. Um, However, with Esther, who decides to say, you know what, let's do another day of this. To me, to you, it could seem on the surface that this might be be some some vengeance. Why Why is Esther wanting to kill again? And I'll answer that question. But can I bring our attention to what's going on right now in the Middle East? What we're seeing, we're all watching things. It's hard not to talk about. And it's hard not to talk about when God led us through this book at this time right here. Do you, do you see the connections of what's taking place? Do you see what's happening here? History is simply repeating itself. Now, last week we talked about what Paul wrote in, in, in Romans when he said um, that vengeance is God's and our response as believers is to pray. Now, was I condemning what Israel was doing in response to what was taking place? Not at all. Israel declared war on what took place. They're seeking destruction of a terrorist group called Hamas. Even the headlines I read the other day, they're hunting down the, and to assassinate the leader of this terrorist group, Hamas. And you may say, well, that's, that's vengeance, right? That's not, they should be, they should be praying. Well, let, let me say this again. There's, there's corruptions on both sides, but I, wanna, I really want to speak from the heart, and I pray that this is Holy Spirit-led. The Jews did not start this. The Jewish people were not the aggressors. One side doesn't want life on the other. One side only wants death. Can we agree on that? They only want death. In fact, before October 7th took place, where a thousand plus Jewish innocent people, civilians were killed, along with them, there there were plenty of Palestinian uh, civilians, innocent civilians that were killed. Nothing that um, we saw uh, was good and pleasing to the eyes, but I will say this, Israel, and if you know your history, Israel desires and is seeking peace. They want peace. They want peace. They, they've asked for peace. Yes, there's been selfishness on their part over the years as they've tried to have peace offerings, but they've, they've tried, they were willing. But the difference is, and, and let me say this, if Hamas, the terrorist group, put down their guns today, what would be the outcome tomorrow? Peace. If the nation of Israel and the Jewish people put down their guns today, what would be the outcome tomorrow? Death. Because only one side wants the other side dead. So as Christians, we are to pray for our enemies. We are to pray for this terrorist group. We are to pray for the enemies of God, yes. And we're also at the same time, we're supposed to pray for the vengeance of God. God, would your vengeance be taken? This is, this is up to you, God. Now, but I also will say this. 
Just as God uses people, he uses nations, and he uses armies to fulfill his purpose, don't you think God is using people, nations, and armies to fulfill his vengeance? Again, the Jewish people did not start this. The Jewish people were not the aggressors. Now, back to the book of Esther, let me say something profound. The Jewish people did not start this. The Jewish people were not the aggressors. They weren't seeking the destruction of the Persian Empire. They weren't looking to kill those who were after them. They, they, they weren't looking to say, we have to be established. You know, this goes all the way back to the Abrahamic Covenant, where they're fighting for land right now. There, there's so much of this that I don't need to get into, but there's a lot that's happening. Prophecy we're seeing perhaps be fulfilled. But the Jewish people failed to do this the first time back when King Saul was told by God in 1 Samuel 15 to wipe out the Amalekites. Well, who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were the enemies of God. And what did Saul do? Go with me to 1 Samuel 15. Again, I'm answering the question, um, why did Esther see fit to not just present another day of killing, but she saw fit to impale the 10 sons of Haman on, on poles. In 1 Samuel 15, God tells Saul, Saul, I need you to kill every single Amalekite because they're the enemies of the Jews. He says, go and totally destroy them. Destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare any living being or animal. And then he tells him to take nothing. Don't take any plunder. Kill them. Kill every living being. Well, what happens in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 15? It says, okay, so Saul obeyed. He attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He even took their king of the Amalekites alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. All right, you might be thinking, well, that's okay because he took the king and he's going to kill the king. But yet I read it and it says, what did God say? Don't take anything and kill everybody. And so here we go in verse 8. He took the king alive. All right, Paul. All right, Saul, are, are you going to fulfill and be obedient? Verse 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to totally destroy. They were unwilling. What did God command them to do? Totally destroy everything. What did they not do? Totally destroy everything. But God, these are great sheep. This is great plunder. And we've even got the king. What did Saul and the army do? They made an exception. And Christian believer, worshiper of God today, when you make exceptions with what God has told you to do, what you are telling the devil is that he's welcome to stay. You're telling the devil that you and I, we can still be friends. Man, I believe in God and I worship God and I'm obedient most of the time, but there's some things I just, God, I cannot obey. obey. I cannot believe, God. I believe most of this book, but I cannot believe some of this book. God, I'll submit most of my life to you, but I cannot submit all of my life to you. And what you're telling God is you can have most of me, but not all of me. In fact, some of me is going to remain over here with the enemy. 
Some of me belongs to the devil still, God, but you can have most of me. And that's a dangerous place to be because you have no idea what that will produce. You have no idea what, what, what's gonna happen when you make exceptions. We know, church, that God doesn't want some of your obedience. He wants all of your obedience. He doesn't want your exceptions. When Saul and his army made exceptions, the line of King Agag continued, and who was a descendant of King Agag? Haman the Agagite. When Saul and his army made exceptions, now fast forward many years later, the whole Jewish race is about to be slaughtered and annihilated because we thought that it was okay to make exceptions. So now go to the story of Esther. What was she supposed to do? What was she supposed to do? Let that, that spirit of Haman linger in the city of Susa, which odds are there were probably more supporters of Haman there, and she, she saw fit that they were probably going to attack them the next day. So why don't we just kill them the next day? Let's just, let's just wipe them all out. In fact, let's take his, his, his sons that we've killed. Let's just not bury them in, in, in the ground, but let's put them on poles for people to see. Was all that justifiable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because she knew that if the enemy would see the 10 sons of Haman impaled on poles that the fear of God would enter their hearts and that they would second guess attacking the Jewish people again. God used Esther and the Jewish people to fulfill what Saul could not fulfill in 1 Samuel 15. Was all this justifiable? Yes. Now, was it completely over for the Jewish people? No more would they ever face the enemies. Well, that's not true at all because we know what took place, right? We see the Persians, they tried to do it. We see the Romans hundreds of years later after Jesus, they try and do it as well. We see Nazi Germany try to do it. And here we are now in 2023 and we're seeing Hamas try and do it. Let me go back to the Middle East. Let me just say a few things. And these are things that you can look up. This isn't anything I'm making up or just hearing from one individual. Do you know who's funding, primarily funding this terrorist group, Hamas? You can look, and it's said to be the nation of Iran. Now, if you didn't know, Iran, you know what was Iran before Iran was Iran? Persia. Now, let me tell you about this spirit of Hamas. We've talked about the spirit of Haman. Now, I can't take full credit of this. I've listened to some other wiser pastors and scholars of mine that I've looked to, especially sitting up on this pulpit trying to teach some of these things and trying to make somewhat connections of these things. But that spirit, and by the way, um, the leader of Iran came out and said last Tuesday that we kissed the hands of those who planned the attack on Israel. So you see the, there's connections there. Um, if, if, you, if you go to um, the beginning in Genesis... You have Noah and the flood. Why did God bring the flood? Why did he feel that he needed to destroy the world completely except and save Noah who was a righteous man? Why did God need to spare them and why did he need to destroy? Was there any good that was left? No. In fact, the Bible says it was so wicked. Every thought in every mankind's mind was wicked. And that's why God 
needed to destroy all those people. Now, we have to understand that this spirit of Hamas that we're seeing now isn't just a physical spirit, it's a supernatural spirit, it's a demonic spirit. How many would you agree with me? It's a demonic spirit, okay? Remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, church. We're fighting against the principalities of this world. So if you deny that, then how can you accept what God is wanting and writing? There is that spirit. There is a demonic spirit of Hamas. And it didn't start in, on October 7th or in 1988 when Hamas came out with their covenant and said, we're going to annihilate all the Jewish people. That spirit didn't start there. It did not start um, even when the Nazi Germany came out and said, we're going to kill all the Jewish people. That spirit of Hamas did not start there. It didn't start with the Romans who tried to kill the Jewish people. It didn't start with the Persians that tried to kill the Jewish people. You've got to go back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, this is what it says. I wish I would have given it to you on the screen. It says, now God saw the earth had been corrupt and was filled with violence. Do you know what that word Violence is in Hebrew, Hamas. That demonic spirit of Hamas did not just arise now in 2023. It was all the way in the back in Genesis in the beginning of time. Now, I don't share that to scare you. I share that to tell you that that spirit cannot win. It has not won, it will not won, it will never win because the authority of Jesus and who he is and God is established, that wins, that is victorious. And so I don't have to fear that spirit. I know we're fighting it, but God has already overcome it. God has already won it, but it's there. And as long as heaven and hell are reality, that spirit will still be prevalent until Jesus returns, right? So fearing led to identifying, back to Esther, led to fighting, leads to winning, and then I'll conclude with this, it leads to feasting. Somebody say feast. Anybody enjoy feasting? All right, just could we breathe for a moment, take a deep breath in. We don't need to be worried, guys. We don't need to be fearful. We got faith. And God is using nations, armies, people to fulfill his purposes and his vengeance. And we're gonna leave that up to God and we're gonna pray. But the people here, who, who, the Jewish people who had just found victory on the 13th month, the 13th day, as well as the 14th day, now decide that it's so important for them to feast. Nothing like a feast after a victory. I don't know if you play sports, but I still play softball. And every time we win, every time, because I, I say many times, because I've been with some good people, we win the championship game. And we always just take a beeline and we head to um, Ale House, Miller's Ale House. And we get the mountain melts. And if you've ever been to Ale House, you know they got that mountain melt with the zingers and the fries. It's, it's beautiful. And it's the greatest thing to eat when you've won. It's the worst when you, when you lose. Like, you know, our spouses, they don't know that, guys. With us, we're extremely competitive. We want to win and you lose a game. They're like, hey, you know what? Let's just go out to eat. I don't want to go out to eat. I want to weep and cry and sit home and do nothing. I have just lost. I have failed. I am failure. But when you win, you just want to eat and you want to eat. And then you forget sometimes that you can't eat that much, but you still eat that much. The next day is the worst day, but the feast is the best. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 of Esther chapter 9. It says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far. 
He said in verse 21, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar. Again, the days are important. The city of Susa fought for how many days? Two days. They fought on the 13th day and the 14th day, and they feasted on the 15th day. But the people in the rural areas, not in the city, fought one day. They fought on the 13th day, and so therefore they celebrate on the 14th day. There was some uh, internal battles between the Jewish people about which day they celebrate. And so Mordecai, with all the power that he now has, issues an edict to, sell, to say, hey, we're going to celebrate on both days. Because who wouldn't want to eat again the next day? In my house, we, we celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then we have post-Thanksgiving on Friday. We eat all the food again. Anybody else do that? I mean, it's just two days of eating as much as you want. And it's back to the gym um, seven days a week until you hit the second day. And then it's like, okay, maybe two days a week. Um, but we're feasting for two days, okay? So they feast for two days, the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar. And as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when the sorrow was turned into joy. How many know that God is turning your sorrow into joy? He's turning your mourning into dancing. Anybody thankful that God has done that in your life? He's turned sorrow into joy, mourning into dancing. And I thank God for those things. And this became a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And the Jews agreed to continue to celebrate what they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, he plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And he cast the poor, that, that is a lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, this is kind of like recapping, right? This is the recap of what took place. But when the plot came to the king's attention, how did it come to the king's attention? Who did God use? What pawn did he use? Well, it wasn't a pawn. It was a queen named Esther who encouraged Esther, her Jewish cousin named Mordecai. God is working behind the scenes. The plot comes to the king's attention, and he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his son should be hanged or impaled on the poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word poor. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants, and what does it say? And all who joined them. The table has just got a little bit bigger they brought out some more seats. It says that all who would join them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. I mean, church, we celebrate things all the time. We celebrate our birthdays. Maybe you celebrate your spiritual birthdays. Does anybody know their spiritual birthday that you celebrate? January 10th, 2000 is mine. I have a book, I have a Bible that my dad wrote. And then I got baptized on April 30th. I don't know why it took me a few months to get baptized. But I, April 30th, and my dad didn't write 2000, he wrote 200. So for some reason, 200, BC or 80, I'm not sure, I got baptized. I remember those days. I celebrate those days. You should too. We celebrate the heroes of our faith. We celebrate those who have paved the way for the church to exist. We celebrate those who have paved the way for Christianity to still be here. Do you remember those people? 
the Jewish people, they remember and they don't want the generations to come to ever forget that on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, they and all their people were spared. And so they create this feast of Purim. The Purim is simply deriving from the Babylonian word Pur, which was when Haman casted lots. He said, which day should we kill them all? And so they casted lots. And so that's why they called this day the Feast of Purim. Has anybody heard of the Feast of Purim? I mean, we've heard about a lot of the Jewish feasts. And maybe as, as, as a church or maybe people who aren't Jewish, we, we don't really know what that Feast of Purim is. Let me, let me give you some, some helpful uh, information on this feast. I've talked to some of my Jewish brothers and sisters. They've helped me on this. I've been to a feast of Purim, okay? It's a Jewish holiday that's all about celebrating the deliverance of the Jews. Listen, it's, a, it's become more of a national holiday, by the way, than just a religious and Jewish one. But it's about celebrating the deliverance of the Jews. What does it involve? It involves reading the Megillah, which is the, the scroll of Esther. They read this. Um, they give gifts of food to their friends. Come on, sign, sign me up for that feast. I want gifts of food to, if I'm your friend. They give charity to the poor. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of dancing. People dressed in costumes. I, I mean, if you've been to one of those, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's, it, it's wild. It's a huge thing. They have these triangular pastries. They call them like Haman's ears or Haman's um, um, hat. Um, and you eat them and they're full of chocolate and fruit and cream cheese. I mean, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's great. I'm like, yes, let's go. Give me the cookies. And I went and I celebrated and I watched everybody dance and I watched people rely on that hope that no matter how evil the circumstances may ever get again, God saved their people then and he can save them again. And they celebrate that. And I told you back in January of 2022, I'm sitting here reading this book. I don't know why God led me to this book, but he led me to this book and I just started reading it. And I couldn't put it down. I, I think I finished it in 20, 30 minutes. And I asked two questions. I said, number one, why don't I know about this feast? Number two, why have I not been at this feast? Why, why isn't the church celebrating this feast? Can I tell you, on behalf of the Jewish people, I know I'm not Jewish, but all my friends who are Jewish, they're asking the question, why isn't the church talking about this? Why isn't the church celebrating this feast? Because Christian, if you remember, it was the Jewish people that gave us the understanding and knowledge of God, his son, and his word. It was the Jewish people who would first become Christians and missionaries. It would be the Jewish people that would first receive the Holy Spirit. If it weren't for the Jewish people, we would not have the church today. Can I get an amen? Anybody thankful for our Jewish brothers and sisters? The table just got bigger, church. Write this date down, March 23rd, 2024, the Feast of Purim will begin. And I'm not saying that you have to do everything they do. Maybe, maybe, because look at the passage. This is what it says. Look at verse 27. This just, I just got this as I was reading this. I didn't have this plan before. It says the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom and that they and their descendants and all who would join them should without fail observe these two days. Verse 28, these days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family. It seems like it's talking about a lot of people here because th then it goes on to say, and these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews. Okay, so, so we are to remember these days and I didn't, I didn't know about these days. So now you know, and now it's up to you to say, hey, listen, maybe I'll celebrate this. I'll put a 
give me a plate of food. I'll wear a costume. I love wearing costumes. I'll, I'll wear a costume. I'll, I'm not the best dancer. And I don't know all their customs. I don't know all their traditions. You don't have to do all those things. But church, you can at least talk about it. You can at least remind the devil that he, he's losing now and he lost then. You can tell your, your Jewish brothers and sisters that, who, who, who don't have the, the, the greatest view of, of Christ, Christians, you could say to them, hey, we're with you on this, man. We, 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 we are for you. And I pray that if I was in that time and I was a Gentile, that I would have said, hey, listen, not only um, do I identify you, but I'll fight with you. I'll fight with you. And we'll see this through. We'll see this through. Because if we fail to remember the past, we'll be condemned to relive it again. And so maybe God is putting something on your heart to say, I want to learn more about this feast. I want to learn about what they do. If you didn't know, we have a Messianic church that meets here on Saturdays. I've spoken with their pastor. And I said, hey, would it be okay if I invited our church, non-Jewish people, maybe there are some Jews in this place, to join your feast? And he said, we'll, we'll, we'll bring out the red carpet. He said, we got, we'll, bring out the, we'll bring out all the chairs. He said, our table, our table will get bigger for you. And you don't have to be a part of that. I just want you to know I want you to know that there's something worth shouting about. There's something worth praising about. There's something worth getting excited about. And you could go back to the history of where the Jews were spared. Let me just finish these last three verses in, in verse 10 because we'll, we'll finish it all. All right, verse one, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. So good. Rags to riches. This is a Joseph story. This is the same story as Joseph. God is elevating those who will humble themselves. God says, I'll exalt those who humble themselves and I will humble those who exalt themselves. Who did he have to humble who exalted himself? Haman. Who is he, who is he um, um, exalting after they humble themselves? Mordecai. The, the scripture says the greatness of Mordecai to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of the media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and he held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. This, this is what's happening, okay? Um, this is episode five uh, of, this, of this scene. And it's over, like it's over. You know, you watch your favorite show and it's done, but the closing scene is the king who's, again, a wicked king, but God is using him. And the king walks out to his balcony and he sees all the Jewish people celebrating. And he sees him, you know, the confetti and food and costumes and dancing. And he walks up there and he thinks to himself, ah, look what I did. Huh. I guess I saved a group of people that really need saving. And then all of a sudden you see as he turns over his shoulder, you see Mordecai, the leader of the Jewish people, step in and he's right there next to this king. And then the, the scene cuts, over, done. And you wonder what happened. But you don't have to wonder because the Bible tells us the credits roll and it says Mordecai would go on to be second in command. Mordecai would go on to fight for his people. Mordecai would go on to help his people. Mordecai would go on to fight for prosperity and peace for the Jewish people. And then in parentheses it would say, and the Feast of Purim has been celebrated every year since on the 14th day and the 15th day of the 12th month of Adar. And now here we are, church. What are we doing about it? 
Are we excited about what took place? Can we be thankful for what God did when he saved his people? You and I are here today worshiping because of our Jewish brothers and sisters who took arms and said, you know what? We're going to welcome those who don't believe. Come on, come on in and fight for us. And we're going to watch the hand of God move because the hand of God reigns. It reigns. Anybody believe the hand of God reigns and it rules? Come on, would you stand to your feet? All across this room, I'm gonna ask our team to jump back into that first song we sang. And if you were here for our worship night, uh, part of our worship night was testimonies and it was talking about the goodness of God and what he's done. And in that same time, we realized, man, there is so many things to shout about. There are so many things to praise about. There are so many things, God. Man, I've been in the valley, I've been in the mountaintop, but God, every day of my life, I will praise you. I will praise you in Psalm 68. It says, God, I will, I will be rejoiceful. I will be rejoiceful for what you've done. You remember when Rahab said, There's the fear of God is in our enemies because of what you did at the Red Sea, of what your God did when he destroyed the kings? Can we just for a moment, can we go back and remember all the good things that God has done in your life? Show of hands, how many, how many of you God has spared you? He, sa he saved you? He took you out of, the, of a pit? Can you just be thankful? Can you just thank him right now here in this moment? Say, God, I thank you. Come on, God, I worship you. God, I praise you. God, I'm so grateful for you. You saved my life. When I was broken, you saved my life. When I was dirty, you saved my life. When I was full of sin, you saved my life. When I was worshiping idols, God, you saved me. So God, I'm so grateful for that. Come on, tell him you're, you're grateful. God, I'm so grateful. And Lord, today we stand here as a church people who are Jewish, people who are not Jewish. And we read about in your word of how you save the Jewish nation and the Jewish race. And so as a church today, we praise you. We praise you, God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you, you did it then, you're doing it now, and you can do it again. Come on, God, you can do it again all across this place. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.